0: Thanks so much for joining us at Vibe Church for our podcast. If you're local to the Bay Area, we'd love to see you at one of our four locations. For more information, check us out on vibechurch.org. Amen. Well, Happy Mother's Day, Church. It is so good to have you all together, all our locations. And uh, I'm so blessed to be in the house of God. There is, there is definitely an atmosphere of His presence today and I am so excited because today we have the privilege of hearing from my wife aka the velvet hammer and uh mother of this house and I want to just welcome her as she comes to bring the word so can you give her a big five welcome as she comes to bring the word of God come on preacher baby good morning good morning vibe church You look fabulous, you sound fabulous, you are fabulous. I love you so much. Let me just echo what my husband just said. Happy Mother's Day to all our mums in all our campuses. Brittany's mum, happy Mother's Day in Oakland. Happy soon to be Mother's Day, Pastor Terry. I'm being prophetic in Jesus' Name. They're all gonna be hollering over there in San Francisco. Happy Mother's Day, Pastor Amy in San Jose. And here, Pastor Michelle, happy Mother's Day. Two, three weeks, Ariah? Six weeks? That went really fast, where was I? <laughs> oh my goodness. But um, I'm just, just, I feel in this atmosphere in, the, in this moment as well, that this morning I've hugged mothers who now have babies in their womb and the ache last year was the hope for a baby. And I just feel that that in this atmosphere, if wherever you are, I'm not gonna expose you in all the campuses, but maybe if you're standing next to your husband right now, or maybe you're standing here and, and your husband isn't with you in whatever campus you're in, I just really believe to pray in faith for a baby in your womb, if that is the desire of your heart. And I just pray right now, Father, we just thank You that by Your authoritative Word, we are able to speak into being a generation that is not yet born, Father, into wombs of women who will carry them and they will be men and women of promise. And the assignment of the enemy to cut off a generation and sever a generation is now null and void in the Name of Jesus. We are raised up an army of young men and young women in the house of God who are gonna change the face of the earth today and so Father I release the miracle of babies and conception in the Name of Jesus and next year we will celebrate again all these beautiful new babies in arms that are a promise of You realised and we just thank You Jesus and everybody said Amen Amen none other than the house of God. The house of God is a place of miracles, let me tell you. Okay, so you're gonna get your Bibles out with me. Get your Bibles out, don't sit down just yet. Just get your Bibles out. We're gonna turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're gonna continue this morning in our series that we've started, A Different Jesus. And I'm gonna talk today about A Different Spirit, which is the next portion of that Scripture. And I've decided to entitle this message today, Pinterest Apostles. You know, you're thinking, what is, where is she gonna go with this? Just wait, just wait till I unpack it. It'll make sense soon. But in chapter 11, it says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness, Paul says. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a jealousy of God Himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of Gospel than the one you believed. And I'm just going to believe that the discerning Holy Spirit will be able to help us as we navigate this message today to illuminate some things in our hearts. So Father, I just thank You that You do what You need to do today. Lord, You called us all here. We are here in the campus that we're standing in for a reason. And it's because You have something that You're going to draw upon us, Your Spirit upon us. You're going to separate us again unto You today. There's going to be a spirit of consecration in the house of God today where You make us Yours and we become wholly devoted to You again. Father, we just thank You in Jesus' mighty Name for what You're going to do. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, why don't you high five the person next to you? Don't slap them too hard. In every campus, and you can begin to take your seat in every campus. How are we going online campus? You're looking very good. I can't see you, but I just know that as you're sitting in your bed or driving your car, which you shouldn't be doing while you listen to a message, but wherever you are, you'll probably look really good. So in faith, in Jesus' name. (laughs) Let me tell you, um, Pinterest. Anybody here on Pinterest? Okay, the word will either invoke a, a, a sense of fun and aura and excitement in you, or it will horrify you. And so I have discovered that in the Pinterest world, there are two extremes. You have your Pinterest Palooza gang over this site. And they are so elite that they have created their own language around Pinterest. Pinterest Palooza. What is Palooza? I don't know. But they gather together and they create these incredible things and then they put them on Pinterest. I have discovered they are real people and they really do exist. And then on the other side of the end of the spectrum is your Pinterest failures. Anyone in the Pinterest failure section? Okay, here's the Pinterest failure section. Here's me. Like way below the Pinterest failure section. And so I don't know where you find yourself on the Pinterest scale today, but I do know that um, I use Pinterest only for work, like to give my guys a vision of what I would like to create in the atmosphere of of something. So the pressure is actually not on me to make it happen, (laughs) which is the key. And so... I put the pressure on the Pinterest Palooza guys to make this fabulous thing come to pass. But I have um, come to understand that we don't always have Pinterest Palooza gang in our background in motherhood when we have to put on a birthday party or when there's a graduation coming up. And so we have Monday night family night, don't we, babe? And so on Monday nights, our children, actually last Monday night, Medea came out and she popped up her laptop and she put on a PowerPoint presentation and it had Medea's graduation. It had like all these sparkles pop up, it was animated. And then this motion graphic started to flow through the screen of all the things that she would like to see for her graduation. She's graduating middle school. Middle school. And, 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 so, and so immediately, this spirit of intimidation came upon me and I noticed that the twins had left the table, they were nowhere to be seen. And then they come out with their little iPads and they decided that they would do a manual version of a PowerPoint presentation of Pinterest pictures that they would like for their you know, graduation. And I just thought, you know, that's exactly like this passage of scripture that we're talking about. There is a spirit of intimidation behind this thing called Pinterest. I don't know who you are and I don't know why you're so perfect, but why are you inciting perfection in my children and then trying to make me come through on it? I don't know where you are or what you're doing, but I would just like you to deliver the goods on my doorstep, that would be really lovely. But I found out that this is not just a thing, like, that I'm having in my household. It's actually, like, a thing. I'm not alone. The Washington Post talks about it like this. It says, What is this epidemic my peers and I are suffering from? According to the Oxford Dictionary, perfectionism is the belief that perfection can be attained, that you can improve something until it is faultless. And this is interesting, a recent global research study by Baby Dove to coincide with its launch of a line of wipes, lotion, shampoo and other baby care products found that 89% of mothers feel pressure to be perfect. Do I have anyone who is in here in agreement with me? Okay, and 72% question whether what they're doing is good enough and only 26% of new moms say that it's possible to be as perfect as the moms they see in media and yet we all keep trying. Part of this nagging perfectionism is inherent to the job. You want to do the best for your kids because you adore the ever-loving snot out of them. Yet that normal desire can easily spill over into anxiety and stress, feelings that can prevent you from laughing at your preschooler when he's so excited to see you that he falls off the couch in a clunk, revealing a pile of illicit cookie crumbs. Okay? And so I just wonder, have any of you felt that spirit of intimidation? you know that spirit of intimidation that rises up because that's the same spirit that Paul's talking about here. He's like, I'm feeling a little bit intimidated by these Pinterest apostles. They've come in with their polished gospel, their polished message, and they make it look so fabulous and so great. But let me tell you, I come with a simple message, but it is a powerful message. I might not preach it all polished like they do, but let me tell you, my message has content to it. And so... Maybe I just think one of the scariest things about that spirit of intimidation, and it is a world that we live in today, we do look at each other's perfection that we put out there in social media, but I just think that it makes us question what we have. And and is what I have enough? And so many times we can convolute our Christian faith because is what I have enough enough? And so I wanna go on a little bit of a journey today because Paul kind of takes this head on. He's like, I don't have your eloquence of speech. I didn't go to the same oracle schools of training that you did, but let me tell you, I have a brilliant mind. And I have an effective ministry. And so he begins to move against these guys. He says, you know what I have? I have content. You have this wonderful presentation, but I have the Gospel. I have the Word of God. The Word of God stands on its own merit. It doesn't even need its own introduction. It's good all on its own. It preaches itself. And so he comes back at these guys. But I find it very interesting in this passage of Scripture, as we begin to talk about the fault with philosophy and the super apostles that he is taking on, is that Paul doesn't take them on in a head level. He doesn't like come at the gospel like portion. He's not trying to unpack their message. He's coming at the spirit behind their message. And there's something significant about this because in his response, he layers it with a very relational tone. And so as I begin to look at this, he says, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God. I mean, you're not jealous for someone unless you're in relationship with that person, right? And he says, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God. I promised you as one pure bride to one husband, Christ, um, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion will be corrupted, which makes me think that Paul is somewhat being blatant in his response here. The thing isn't the thing. And half the time when we have an arguments with our spouses, the thing is never the thing, right? It's the spirit behind the thing. It's the way you said what you said to me. And so... He says, you come at me and you're trying to intimidate me with your gifting. But let me tell you something. I have anointing. And there is something that God needs to do in our generation today. Where we come with all our giftings and all our skill set and all our abilities and we present them to God like they are something fabulous. In fact, we are kind of being like those Pinterest apostles. But he is saying, Paul is saying, don't be like them. Lean into the anointing. The anointing is the, is the anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing is the power of the message. If you have the anointing, then you have everything you need. And so I kinda wanna just jump into the passage of Scripture today. And the first point that I'm gonna make is that religious, re- religiosity loses ground, but relationship takes ground. And if you can grasp this at the core of your being, Vive Church, it'll change the trajectory of how you do life with God. It is a walk with God. It is a relationship with Him. It's not about what you do for Him. It's about being with Him. And so if you know Paul, you know that he was religious back in the day. Anyone know the story about Paul? Because Paul was Saul. Now this gets a bit confusing. I don't know why they had to change each other's names all the time, but For the sake of it, just track with me to Acts chapter 9. Because in Acts chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul is uttering threats with every breath, and he's eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, this is the same Paul who's trying to protect the church here. He's trying to let them know, hang on, I'm picking up something different. There's a different spirit about what they are saying. I know this spirit because I've seen this spirit in motion. Actually, that spirit was a spirit that worked through me. And he says... Meanwhile, he went to the high priest and he goes and he requests letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. He's asking for their cooperation to arrest all the followers of the way. He literally wants to drag men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. And so as he goes to Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down on him and he fell to his knees and he hears this voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? me. And he says, Lord, who are you? And so the voice replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And so the men who are with Saul are speechless because they hear this voice, but they don't see anybody. Then all of a sudden Saul picks himself up off the ground, finds that he's blind. And do you know what religiosity does? It blinds you and it makes you self-dependent, but he has to be led by his friends back into the city in a place of dependency because God's about to release him into relationship. And so for three days, he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink and he's there in Damascus. Now, as he's there, It says that there was one man, a believer, named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him, calling to Ananias in a vision. And he said, yes, Lord. And so the Lord said, I want you to go to Straight Street, okay, which is much, not very much like Lombard Street at all. I want you to go to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, I know, it was awesome. It's awesome in my head. So you know some things are better in your head and then you get them out and you're like, no. Nah. But he said, when you get there, I want you to ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. Isn't that funny? He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands him, on him and, so that he can see again. And so Ananias says, but Lord... This guy is killing Christians, this guy has like letters from you know, officials saying that he is allowed to do this. Are you sure you know what you're sending me into? And so the Lord says, yeah, I want you to go because Saul is my chosen one. He's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, which is what you see him doing in this other passage of Scripture, as well as the people of Israel. So Ananias went and found Saul. And here's the beautiful thing. He laid his hands on him and he said, brother Saul, He went to his enemy. He went to someone who was opposing what he stood for and in a spirit of love and out of relationship, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. What I want you to understand about Saul is, uh, and Paul. Paul is leaning in as he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's going, "You know what? I can see that there is this level of um, this sincerity in you, like you." actually want to do the right thing and somebody else has come in and they've directed you in a certain way. I, I saw that sincerity in me, in fact, when I was persecuting the church. I was sincere in my passion for God. I actually thought that the Christians were going to oppose Judaism, which they were. And I was vehemently against Christianity. And so he says, there's this thing that's in you that's kind of pure. It's sincerity, but the enemy comes to pervert the sincerity. And he did it with Eve. And that's what he's talking about in that passage of Scripture as well. She thought she was going to know God better. She thought she was going to gain some wisdom. So the enemy leans into this thing called sincerity. And so many times as in our Christian walk, we lean into this thing called sincerity. And out of sincerity comes this works mentality where we feel like we have to do things and add things to our faith so that God will love us, so that God, will, you know, so we'll be more Mature in our faith, and so he's identifying this in them. But when he talks to this and he speaks to this, he's saying, "I see where you're at, but there's this other emotion that is is bubbling up, and I think it's kind of odd. It's the emotion of jealousy, right? Like he's jealous. I'm jealous for you, as God is jealous for you, and so." I gotta tell you something, you know, um, have you ever been like, have you ever wanted something for someone so bad? Like, have you ever wanted someone to be free so bad, sometimes more than they want to be free? Okay, so I feel like it's in this vein, that He's like, I am jealous for you. I'm not jealous of you, like I wanna take from you, which is what our world, when we think of jealousy, we think of it as a selfish sense. But when God is jealous, it is a selfless sense. It's all about other people. And so He says, I am jealous for you. Let me tell you, I want my children to learn the right things. I want them to go about things the right way and learn the right lessons in life because I want good things for them. And so I discipline my children. I don't know about you, but that's how I do it in my household. And so there's this um, picture, this drawing that my daughter gave me last year. Do we have that picture that you can put up on the screen? There it is. Can you see it? It says, list of people I hate. Mother Kira. Mother Kira boo, mom, I just hate two people. And then she added someone else and I edited it out so that they wouldn't know. (laughs) And it wasn't dad. It's right, it wasn't dad. (laughs) I just wanna say to you, I do not know what spirit she was operating under when she drew that picture. Well, actually, I do know. That was the spirit of the Antichrist. That was not the spirit of the Holy Spirit. There's two different spirits at work there. But I asked her and I said, why did you write this horrible note about mummy? And she said, she said, because you told me to clean my room. I was like, oh my gosh. And this ensued a conversation with her. And this is how philosophical it was if you love me, you'll let me do what I want because you'll want me to be happy. If you hate me, you'll discipline me. I said, sweetheart, the world has got it so wrong. If I love you, I will discipline you. If I hate you, I will not discipline you. And so I took a moment to flip that on its head and then also thought I'd take it at a relational level further. And I got the picture and I said, you know what, sweetheart? I love you even though you hate me. And, you know, I've never had a bad thought about you ever. I laid it on thick. (laughs) And I was like... I completely adore you. And then I took it and I put it on the fridge where all our proud celebratory moments go and I clipped it to the fridge. Well, in sheer shame, about an hour later, she took it down, crumpled it up, put it in the bin, apologised that she will never ever say that to me again. But it doesn't matter how many ugly letters she writes about me, I'm still gonna love her because that's my posture. It doesn't matter if she feels like she hates me, I'm still gonna love her. And so that is the posture of God with us. You can be like Saul persecuting him one moment and God's like, do you know what? I'm gonna intervene in your world. I don't care how far away you think you are from me. I love you. You can't stop my love for you. And so that's the jealousy of God. It's a jealousy for you. In fact, when God says about Himself that I am a jealous God, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Because let me tell you, God has rescued us from our own slavery because we keep enslaving ourselves. To the same things. We get saved from it. And then we just have this nature that goes back to it. And God's like, if you just remain in me, if you don't make any other idols for yourself, I'm laying a relational boundary and foundation here for us, that if you remain in me, then you won't have to go circles around those things. And so He's he's like, "I, I want you to be free. I want you to know that you can be free from slavery and I want you to stay free from slavery because he didn't just save us to get us to heaven. He saved us so that we could be vindicated today and every day and that we don't have to live under the same things. And so Paul's trying to tell the Corinthian church the same thing here. He's like... I'm I'm jealous for you as God is jealous for you. I'm trying to protect your undivided devotion to Christ. Why? Because if you aren't careful, this other teaching will seduce your mind and enslave you again. I am jealous for you to take ground, not lose ground. And I am just a little bit afraid that sometimes as Christians, we lose ground because we get into like a Christian flow and add Christian things to the equation and we lose relationship with Jesus in the process. And he says, I want you to come back to me. And he says, because I met Jesus face to face. You see, when I didn't deserve it, He showed up in my world. And He's so relational. God is so relational that He did this. Instead of destroying the people that rejected Him, He allowed the very same people to rebel against Him in order that through that very act, He might win back their love. That's the kind of God that we serve. It's an insane kind of love that we don't comprehend and that we find it really hard to receive sometimes. So then we just try and start to work it out and try and start to get Him to love us again. You don't have to try and get God to love you. He already loves you. He loves you insanely, like so much, like more than you can comprehend. And so... Half the problem, Paul's just trying to like open up their spirit so that they can receive the love of God. Because if you can get that in your spirit, it's a game changer. And so the second thing is this. uh, The second point is same, same, but different. Same, same, but different, right? Religiosity is a different spirit than a spirit of relationship. And so he says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received. And let me tell you, my twins are identical twins. Now, when they were babies, they, you could not tell them apart at all. So much to the point where the grandparents used to lean down to them and go, which one are you? And Zara would be so adamant and she would say, I am Zara. Like, I'm so offended that you don't know who I am you're my grandparent. And this is when they're like too. Zali, she would go, I'm Zali and Zara. Like, you work it out. And I love her cheeky spirit. But I never confused my babies as identical as they were. I could always hear their voice and discern their spirit. They have a different look in their eye. They have a different sound in their voice. It's not just same, same, but different like somebody told me they were. I'm like, they're not handbags, okay? They're, like, they're, they're, they're different. And so, but that notion is exactly what Paul's talking about, right? He's saying it's not the Prada versus the Prado, the authentic and and the artificial. He's saying to the Corinthian church, you're being presented with what seems like a same, same message. But Paul is discerning a very different spirit to the point where he draws the conclusion that this is in fact an opposite spirit, See, because the spirit of uh, uh, religiosity is devotion to the rituals and traditions of religion. So I'm devoted to doing the religious task, whereas relationship is about a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a very big difference, it's a completely different spirit when we operate out of that zone to operating out of this zone. And if we aren't careful, we can slip into the rituals and we can slip into the traditions and we can not maintain our relationship with Jesus. And so I wanted to ask you today, and this is a kind of a confronting question, but do we serve God in order to earn His love? Or do we serve God out of an overflow of all the things that He's done for us? Because He has given us salvation, because He has set us on a right path, because He has healed us. And that will tell you what kind of spirit you're working, is working in and through you. And you know, every one of us will have to come to a point where we lean back into the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, because we all have the ability to step into that self-righteous spirit, that religious spirit and try and do it in our own work. And and so here's Paul and he's he's saying, you don't need to live in that space. One is void of love. And some of you are like, I just don't feel like God loves me because you're working so hard to try and get his love. He already loves you. And it is a perspective shift that needs to take place in your mind to know that what you do in the house of God or in the earth or what God's put on your life is out of an overflow of how much He loves you. He's already in your corner. He already has your back. And so Paul, in this third point and in closing, he's he's dethroning lies. That's like his main mission, his main goal. He's saying, you come with ability but I come with an advantage and so you know Paul sent the majority of of this like his time just dethroning these lies that are raising themselves up in people's minds and I do love that scripture every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God we tear it down and we have to do that as the body of Christ for each other every now and again we're like what are you thinking? We have to have those conversations with each other. And so what voices are you listening to, Five Church? You see, Paul worked hard to convince the Jews that the Gentiles were acceptable to God. But let me tell you, he worked even harder to tell the Gentiles that the Gentiles were acceptable to God. And I think sometimes some of us really just don't understand that we are acceptable to God. And that He wants to use us in ways that we never thought or um, or could imagine. And some of you are feeling very, very annoyed and frustrated in your Christian walk because you feel ineffective. And it's because you got into the do, do, do portion of it. And God is just saying, I just want you to be with me. Let me refresh you with my presence. Let me refresh you with my love. Let me tell you, I felt so embarrassed about the simplicity of this message. I was like, Paul, I completely get it. Like you feel stupid, like it's so simple. It's actually just about Jesus. And we, you know, like the Pinterest apostles, get our coffee out and we Pinterest and we Instagram our Bible and our notepad. And we do this polished Christian faith thing. And we look at each other's perfect Pinterest Christian lives and and God's just like, I want my house to be full of people who love me. I want my house to be full of people who are in relationship with me, who don't just know about me but who know me. And these Pinterest apostles, man, they knew everything about God, but they had no relationship with the Word. And, the, and having a relationship with the Word of God is everything. Anointing, to have anointing on your life and not just gifting, is to lean into intimacy. You don't get anointing without being with God. You don't get anointing without talking to Him, praying with Him. It's the simple things. We're trying to save the world, but God's just saying, just get up and start praying. That'll change the world. Let me change your heart. Let me change your perspective. And there's a beautiful ease to that. You don't have to strive and struggle. You can gain consistency in that. And that's how you can become a very like, empower, like powerful Christian. But I just felt to tell you today, Vive Church, that what you have is enough. What you have is enough. You're always gonna have a spirit of intimidation that the world projects at you. You're not good enough for your job. You're not a good enough dad. You're not a good enough mum. You're not a good enough student. You're not a good enough daughter. You're not a good enough son. I mean, we could just go on forever and ever and ever. You don't earn enough money. That spirit of intimidation is always there. But you have enough. Enough. There's no need to add anything else to the equation. If you have a relationship with Jesus, those voices that are telling you, I can't use you because of your background. Let me tell you, Paul breaks that. He smashes that whole theory, that whole lie of the devil, that if you had a terrible past, God will still use you. Saul persecuted the church and God used it. Like he was the very weapon that he wanted to use. And do you know why he went to Damascus? He went to Damascus because it was a strategic plan because all the road works came out of that place into all the other places of Rome. So he's trying to stop the Gospel spreading. And God's like, you know what, while you're there trying to stop the things of me, I'm going to just transform you in that moment and you are now going to enhance the things of me and the same passion and the same zeal that you had to do those things are gonna be the, same, the ways that you're gonna push the Kingdom forward and not hold it back. And so why don't you stand to your feet in every location? I know it feels different in this place today, but that's okay. Because God is doing a different work and a new work and He doesn't have to work the same. And I really feel that there's this authenticity and this purity and this simplicity about this message today that is gonna get in your spirit and that is gonna change you. You know, people might tell you it's all about your skills. And that's what these super apostles were saying to Paul. It's all about your skills. And he's saying, no, it's all about my spirit. And you're gonna stand up in your workplaces and in your spheres of influence, and you're gonna have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And you're gonna have God ideas and you're gonna lean into His strength and it's gonna be awesome. And He's gonna have the final say. And they might say, you need the ability to speak or you need the ability to do whatever it is. But let me tell you, you have the God advantage over ability, which is far, far better. And here's the other thing. You know, we're talking about philosophy. And Paul's like, here's something to put in your philosophical pipe and smoke it. He's like, here, Pinterest apostles, philosophy is all about what is the meaning of life? Jesus. Where did we come from? Jesus. (laughs) What is reality? Jesus. Jesus is actually enough for every philosophical argument, for everything you face, He's the power to face tomorrow. He's the power to face today. He's the resurrection life in you right now. He's the healing that you need. He's the answer that you have been always searching for. So I just wanna pray with you in every campus. Father, I just thank You for Your men and women. And Father, I just thank You that You are calling us back to You today. You're calling us back to You and it's a sweet, simple message where we get to turn our hearts again and say, You are enough, Jesus. And I'm sorry for trying to add this and I'm sorry for trying to do it in my own strength and I'm sorry for trying to work it out. I will work from a different perspective now, Jesus. I will work from a place of love. I will work from a place of passion. I will work from a place of relationship where I've spent time with You first and sought Your Holy Spirit and see how You move and expand through me in the days ahead. Father, I thank You that You have equipped Your church with the power of heaven. And we are not a powerless church. But we are a powerful church because we have the Holy Spirit at the core of our being, every single one of us. In Jesus' mighty name, I just thank You so much, Lord, for what You're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Everybody said Amen. Amen, Amen. We hope you are blessed by this podcast. If you have a story about what God's done or what He's doing in your life, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at mystory@vivechurch.org